Hello and welcome to Medico Legal Expert Insight. My name is Jessica and in this podcast, we interview medical and legal professionals to help connect and understand when, what, why and how both sides interpret the information given to them. The goal is to share expert opinions from both sides of the medico-legal industry. I do want to say a huge thank you to eReports for the support and access to all these incredible experts. So let's get started and connect the dots through conversation. Today, I would like to welcome Jason Brown, National Manager of Operations for Personal Legal Services at Morris Blackburn. Jason and I are going to discuss technology in medico-legal. He's going to share his insights into what is happening in the AI space and how it's affecting the medico-legal industry, what needs to be considered when doing a video assessment with experts, thinking about the examinee experience and journey when attending an appointment, and so much more. So let me introduce Jason. He has a background in criminology and commerce and has spent much of his professional life in the legal sector focusing on disability insurance issues. Jason has a passion for client experience and business innovation with more than 11 years at Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Jason has been the driver of technological solutions that address client and business issues. I'm really looking forward to this chat today, and I feel like we're going to have a very forward-thinking and innovative discussion. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) So let's get straight into it, Jason, because I think this is an awesome topic. In your opinion, what is actually happening in the AI space right now in the medico-legal industry? That's a good question. I think the AI space in general is in a really interesting place uh, for all industries. Uh, we're not yet at that kind of, you know, science fiction uh, future destination where we have AI that can really make authentic, uh, novel decisions, but we're starting to see a lot more um, reliable AI intervention around things like um, patent recognition, data processing, um, sort of logic tra- following logic trees around business process and stuff like that. Um, and I think that what you'll start to see and what we are starting to see is that AI is finding really practical applications um, in the legal and medical industries uh, around things like, you know, the way that data gets processed. Mm. So at Morris Blackburn, for example, uh, we've been able to use some Microsoft platform technology, um, the uh, Azure AI platform, yeah. um, to create... Um, what I would sort of describe as uh, a consistent data structure around uh, various documents. So what, what we're able to do is take unstructured data from various sources, so PDF documents, you know, from photocopies of documents from 1990, yeah. uh, all the way through to truly digital, you know, original, um, and have an AI convert that variety of input documents into a single consistent data source. Mm. So it takes it takes your old, you know, terrible, you know, second generation scan from 1990 uh, that is barely legible to a human and the AI is able to apply some really sophisticated techniques to actually turn into legible text and then turn into data, which makes that data actually 
searchable and usable by the end user. Yeah. And so um, that's, that, that's all a bit. Would that be like things like medical records from hospitals? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we're not using it that way specifically yet ourselves, but that's absolutely part of the application uh, capability, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where the medical legal industry, the medical side of the medical legal industry, will find really sophisticated applications for it in being able to use it, use those kind of platforms to uh, shorten the job of digging through reams and reams of client medical records. Because mm. um, uh, again, it brings it back to what AI is actually good at. At the moment, AI is not good at autonomous decision making. What it is really good at is pattern recognition and data processing. Yeah. And so what I think there won't be much beyond that space that you see a real impact in the next little while. There might be great decision-making you know, impacts that happen later, much later. Um, but at the moment, it really is just about uh, bringing those kind of platforms into play to shorten a lot of those administrative functions um, that we're, we're, that the, our industry is sort of plagued with. Yeah, so where it's really going to affect the industry is is the time taken currently yeah. going through all of those records and all of those things that you have to go to go through to make sure that you know you've got the right information and you've got the relevant information. For instance, if you were going to send documents to an expert, um, you're not just exactly. sending them irrelevant documents. Would that be right? Yeah. Well, I think I think more. I suspect because of the mechanisms, the 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 um, broader context around the the legal matters that will be involved, I think it'll actually be more likely that the law firms will still probably discover the full set of documents because they want the doctor to be able to be the one to make the decision around what's wrong and what's not, mm. but that the doctor will be able to, or the medico-legal the, the medico provider, uh, will be able to use the AI to help support that decision-making from their side. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, use that as a way to, for example... Have the AI um, process the documents received and give an indicative uh, medical history or, or a sense of which documents are critical to review or where, where the client, the patient's timeline has kind of um, a summary of the patient's timeline of treatment, for example. Yeah. Those kind of things might be very likely to, to be able to see in the near future. Um, whereas I suspect that it'll be unlikely that law firms would take into their own hands to to chop out, you know, what documents get sent to the doctor. Mm. I was going to say, how do you think lawyers are going to adapt to AI? Are they going to trust it? Um, I think, again, I think it depends on the application. I think certainly um, the way I'd expect to see it adopted and certainly what I'm seeing in my direct experience, you know, what what we're doing at Morris Blackburn is that we're trusting it as a tool Mm-hmm. Um, and we're you know leaning into it as a tool to help us make decisions, but it's it's not anywhere near a point where it's replacing the authentic technical judgment of subject matter experts. Mm. Um, so it's a way to apply a bit more structure to a process and make things more efficient. Yeah, um, it's a way to you know as I said, I mean, even just on a really basic level, being able to take unstructured data and turn it to something you can actually search through. Um, and copy and paste from, for example. I mean, it sounds small, but that's actually really significant time saving. Mm. Is the kind of stuff that we'll see in this first wave, um, and I think a lot of that is very non-threatening to professionals in the sense that it it doesn't replace their judgment. Um, it, it, it 
the fact that it's not replacing the judgment means that it's a really easy thing to accept. Um, and it means you can trust it because, again, it's not actually replacing authentic decision-making by uh, subject matter experts. Yeah, okay, okay. So... Um, I, I think the other... I mean, the, the other... For me, the general sort of things that are at play are... Um, yeah, that idea of there's, there's the automation side, mm-hmm. which is the business side, really. And that's, that's around things like you know, data collection, data processing that I talked about a moment ago. There's also things like process automation where you can actually have um, a system, you know, whether it's AI-driven or just logic-driven, that lets some of the admin work happen automatically behind the scenes. Mm. Um, so, and, and, that, and we see that. You, know, you and I have engaged with stuff like that in our own lives, of course, before where even something as simple as uh, the SMS notifications you get uh, around deliveries, package deliveries, these days. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we, I think we're both in Melbourne. We've been in stage four lockdown. Yeah, um, getting the thousands um, of deliveries to your home every day. <laughs> exactly. So, so we've both had really great uh, up, up close and personal experience with this recently. Um, yeah, you get those SMS tracking um, sort of SMSs, the, the package tracking SMSs to your phone. That's an example of just what pure automation, you know, mm. the the system knows when it gets gets a little data input when the thing gets loaded onto a truck. The system sends you a text message. No human's been involved in the decision to send that text or the sending of that text. It just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you'll start to see that kind of stuff creeping into the legal and medical industries uh, over the next little while to do with client experience. Yeah. Uh, or to do with how you know files get moved from an admin function. You know, once the once the right data collection is happening, it's automatically put into a work queue for a doctor or for a lawyer. Yeah. Um, so we'll see that sort of stuff. Um, the other stuff, the other side of the coin, though, um, is that there's also the actual client experience side, uh, and that's where technology has a huge impact as well. And uh, just like the, the example I just gave around package tracking, I mean, what we're seeing is there's more and more of that technology side creeping into the client experience in sometimes subtle ways. So they're just about sharing information more freely with, with customers or clients, yeah, or patients. Um, but also in bigger ways like having you know, web front ends, like web portals for clients to use or patients to use, um, you know, electronic signatures um, that simplify the process of, of signing relevant documents rather than having to do it in person, you know, put it in an envelope, lick the envelope, put a stamp on, whatever. You can just do it on your phone. Um, and we're also seeing uh, during COVID in particular, um, the various omnibus bills that state governments passed uh, allowed for... Um, an interesting sort of set of test cases around the use of electronic signing and electronic witnessing mm-hmm. for various documents as well. Uh, in Victoria, we had, you know, we still have um, some specific relaxed rules, so to speak, around electronic witnessing for things like wills and so forth, which has yeah. been, I think, really important for giving people access to justice, access to that ability to, you know, create a will if they are sick or ill uh, during the pandemic rather than waiting until it's over. So, there's that side of the coin as well, and that's going to be a really big and I think fast-moving uh, side of it, because frankly, the marketplace is starting to accept it. Yeah, you know, and, and COVID has only accelerated that. We all expect now that our, the services we engage with give us choice and options around how we engage with them, and that some of those choices and options are going to be electronic, are going to be faceless, as it were. Mm. Yeah, it definitely um, so, has really pushed forward like the whole um covid um pandemic that has happened it's really pushed mm. forward a lot of these techno technological changes because we've actually have 
we've had to do it. It, it hasn't yeah. been a choice. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that goes on, that's on both sides, right? That's, that's on yeah. the side of the providers uh, where, you know, to, to stay connected to our, our clients or our patients or our, our um, customers. Um, we've had to take those options because we can't meet them face to face at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so, and still can't in Victoria, for example. So in Melbourne, specifically, for example. Yeah. Um, whereas on the, the customer side, what it's done is actually, I think, accelerated the appetite for that stuff because you've got people who wouldn't have otherwise been especially keen to engage, for example, with Zoom chats or whatever, mm. um, who've now had to learn to do it to stay in contact with their family and having developed that skill. They're now wanting to bring that to bear with other services. You know, we've, we've got clients who are contacting us now who, in the past, I suspect, would never have wanted a bar of a of a tele video mm. sort of conference, yeah, you know, tele interview. Yeah. Um, who would have had very, very quickly and happily jumped on the train and you know come in from out an hour or two outside of Melbourne to just to meet with face to face because that's what they sort of were expecting. Um, who are now starting to take up that offer of you know audio-visual connections of, of using you know, a Teams chat or a Skype chat uh, or even FaceTime on your phone, you know, to to replicate that experience. Yeah. So well, it's kind of... I know, kind of I know our now. experts um, that we work with at eReports, they have, a lot of them were very reluctant prior to COVID-19 yeah. doing the video assessments and... Yeah. They ha- a lot of them had no choice. They had to pivot to the the telehealth uh, yeah. assessment. So if they wanted the bookings, you couldn't yeah. see people face to face. So they had to pivot and change their thinking. Yeah, and and as you say, I mean, it's on both sides. So you've got the providers who who face that challenge and have to pivot, and then through pivoting, learn that skill. You know, become more comfortable with it and start to offer it more. Mm. And then you've got the 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 patients who've engaged through those telehealth appointments who now are building um, as, a, as, a, as a market group, if you know what I mean, are starting to build that level of comfort and, frankly, expectation that that will continue. You know, it's, it's not – for a lot of people, it won't be as simple as when COVID's over um, that everything goes back to exactly how it was. There'll be a lot of people who want to keep some of those things, you know, some of those improvements or changes mm. uh, or at least keep it as an option. And, that, that's, and for me, that's one of the big themes as well is that it's – it's unpacking that technology lets us uh, address different preferences. You know, it doesn't have to be the same solution for everybody. A lot of these technology options give us the ability to offer a face-to-face appointment, a phone appointment, a video conference appointment, you know, or do some of it online facelessly uh, if, if that's what the person actually authentically prefers. You know, it gives, gives the, the prospective client or, or the patient that you bring through the option to actually control their experience to a good degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's something that was much harder to do, I think, in a, in a non-technological kind of sense when you were just trying to deal with things on paper. Um, sticking to processes, having a lot of variations was a lot harder when you didn't have a, a system, like a computer system or, or a digital system that could actually kind of accommodate a lot of that decision-making for you. Yeah. So... As we are adapting to these new technologies and even video assessments, which is, a, again, it's been around, but it's, it's at the forefront right now. What do you yeah. think for a, a, an expert and also for the, the examinee or the, your client, what needs to be considered when doing, say, a mental health assessment or even a physical assessment over yeah. a video appointment? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think I think there's two big things. Um, the first is the client's experience or the patient experience, um, because frankly, it's 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 confronting enough, I think, for a lot of people to attend uh, a medical legal appointment face to face. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there'll be the, yeah, it's, it's it's a really tough thing. But um, but for a lot of people, doing it over video uh, from their own home um, or, or you know from their sort of private space, if you like can carry with it a couple of extra uh, challenges. Mm. And some of those challenges to do with, you know, not, not being comfortable sharing the private space, like that a space that's been their, their safe space, it's been what's sort of in their sanctum. Mm. Um, having uh, uh, a digital channel and sort of intrude upon that can be really challenging. So we need to think about the implications there and how we prepare people to be comfortable with that and how we set up the experience in a way that lets them feel in control of some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also sort of tied into that the uh, sort of technical literacy challenge that comes with it. Like the person has to be has to be comfortable actually engaging with the video chat. You know, like they have to they have to be comfortable with the technology involved. They have to have a device that's appropriate. Mm. Um, and that that's and that's that can be a significant challenge for some people still. I mean, oh, definitely. A lot of people have a smartphone, um, but not everyone does. And even if they do have one, not everyone's going to be as comfortable with, uh, as as others mm. with the actual digital functional stuff, like the how to get onto a Skype call, how to get onto a Zoom call. Yeah. Um. So th- th- that's a part of it. I think having again good, insightful materials you can provide to someone that helps them get on and be comfortable getting on those calls. I think is really important. Yeah. Uh, we we for example um, have a, a set of videos um, that we can text to people to help them, you know, help get them through those kind of functions where they need it. Um, we've also got you know physical collateral that you can send to somebody, like you know, or or even PDFs that you can email people, so that so that people have that ability to just be guided through some of those technological sort of processes. Mm. Um, the other side of it, which is actually uh, possibly something I should talk about first, but, um, but I'm happy to talk about second, yeah. uh, is that we have to think about how to comply with the requirements of the jurisdiction as well. So if we're talking about um, you know, a, a review for a physical injury, how to make sure that the doctor has the opportunity to examine them in a way that feels authentic and the doctor is able to make a, a determination out of. Mm. Um, and we see in, um, in the court space, for example, that around remote testimony for witnesses and so forth, um, the court has set out a lot of different, and each jurisdiction is mostly different, but set out rules around things like um, making sure that there's a way for the court to validate that there's no uh, there's no one in the room coaching or, or pressuring the witness, mm. um, that the device is secure and is of a certain specification uh, and those sort of things. So those are going to be really important things for the industry to negotiate as especially physical injuries start to become more um, prominently examined by a tele-link. Yeah. Uh, because you need to make sure that the product, like the, 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 the medical opinion that's offered at the end of it, is actually one that can be um, relied upon um, and one that isn't open to being challenged just on the, on the basis of the, the format through which the examination happens. Mm. Have you um, heard so of any cases going to court that have been, say, a physical assessment done via telehealth and they've gone into court and how it, how the judge has 
interpret the physical from a telehealth assessment? Like, is there any sort of preconceived ideas around, you know, whether it's it's something that could be used or couldn't? I think it's an evolving space. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually, I, I will confess, I'm not aware of any specific examples, you know, of it going well or badly. Yeah. Um, but I can that I can point you to. But um, but I think it's definitely an area that is still evolving, and it's an area where I, I would, I think that we'll all need to find a level of comfort with that, mm. um, and and to find those precincts we can point to, for example, and say no, no, this is valid, or, or to establish those guidelines um, that, that that make the the video experience mm. more consistently uh, reliable. And that the, the medical legal providers, the doctors, are actually feeling comfortable defending the choice to do it by video and defending the way that their opinion um, was shaped by that video experience. Yeah. And, and being able to demonstrate what they've done to try and mitigate any of the risks that might be involved around, for example, you know, not being able to lay hands on the patient to test, you know, the range of movement or whatever. Mm. So I think it's going to be an interesting uh, evolving space. Yeah, definitely. So is there is there any suggestions that you would maybe give to medical experts when thinking about the examinee on those video calls and the experience that they might be having when attending the appointment? Yeah. I think first, um, I think I'd encourage them to put some genuine thought into the commentary that uh, Larry Lull from your, one of your previous podcasts. Yes, <laughs> he was great. Um, it's all about being that connection. Like you, you've got to make sure people feel authentically comfortable and safe in the process. Mm-hmm. So building rapport quickly is really important. I think I'd also suggest that it's really important to, to think about the work you need to do uh, to, or the, the, the materials you need before the client even sits in the room. So... Yeah, make sure they have all that level of comfort with the technology that I talked about before. Make sure that if, if they're going to be jumping on a Zoom call with you, mm. that you don't take for granted that they know how to use Zoom. Yeah, that you've you've given them you've given them access to support around that before they even get in. Because you know, if, if you've got a person who is for whom this is a really important event in their life, this is a really stressful event in their life, and they are supposed to be online with you at 11 and at 10.59 they're, they're frantically clicking around trying to make it work, that is going to put them in a terrible, terrible amount of pressure mm. going into the actual discussion, the actual appointment. And, and that, I think that will create a whole range of different difficult impacts for the person but also for the actual assessment process. Mm. So I think it's all about making sure you've got, you put really good thought into front-loading what you'll need for that person to have a really smooth engagement with whatever technology you're offering. Um, I think also uh, trying to normalise the experience in some way during whatever correspondence you have with them beforehand. So even if it's just making sure that there's a little bit of discussion in the actual appointment setting, uh, you know, uh, discussions like a phone call where you're comparing the time with the client, mm-hmm. that they get a little bit of insight into what's going to happen during the, the assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that if they need anything physically in the room with them to support the assessment, um, that they have all of that, that they know that ahead of time and they can have it there. Mm. Um, I think then it's also a bit worth considering you know, things like the appropriateness of having support per- a support person there, um, the uh, appropriateness of, you know, that all that, that sort of uh, 
witness coaching kind of stuff that I talked about before. I mean, and making sure that the doctor's got a reasonable level of confidence that it's actually going to be a useful exercise and, and that some thoughts have been put into what discussions need to have happen with the client beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think finally it's about considering how all of that communication actually happens. So does it happen via um, the doctor's office with the, with the client directly? Does it happen via the law firm that's, that's referring the case to you in the first place for the examination? Uh, and making sure you've got the right materials for that audience as well. Yeah. Um, and if it, and if it is that a law firm, for example, is going to be the one having those conversations with their client, which most law firms are going to be really excited to make sure the client has a good experience. Mm. Um, it's about sort of building those relationships so that they're having the same conversations and sharing the same information that you need them to share to make sure that experience goes well. Yeah. Yeah. A bit of stakeholder management in there as well. So what 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 do you think? medical experts should be thinking about when it comes to technology innovations? Like how should they embrace this sort of new, whether whether it's a new era or new, new things happening in the world? Like what would your advice be to experts, to lawyers, um, anyone is, that's in the medico-legal industry and how to adapt to these new innovations within the technology uh, field. Yeah, oh, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, if, if you'll permit me a slightly long answer, and I suppose you've already permitted me a whole bunch of slightly longer <laughs> answers, um, I think that there's a couple of things to think about in there. One is really knowing what you're trying to address. So um, I think we've all experienced situations where a company has t- picked up technologies for its own sake. You know, they've, they've seen a shiny new toy and they've just brought it in and started to use it. Um, sometimes that has some reasonably weird um, outcomes for the for the actual end user. You know, if you can't really see why the technology belongs in there, it makes it really it makes it a really jarring experience. Mm. So before you even look to a technological solution, know what you're trying to address with it, um, and make sure that when you're going into the marketplace to find that solution. You're, you're, you're keeping front of mind what you're trying to do. So don't don't get distracted with all the extra functionality that, that might be offered. Mm. Try to make sure that what you're picking up addresses what you're trying to trying to deal with. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing. I think secondly, and I think COVID has again sort of sharpened this a lot. Um, don't expect that any one solution is going to fit every person. Mm. So it's about making sure that you're offering a suite of solutions. So it, for example. And I, I suspect this is a, an example, a bit farcical of an example, because no one's no one's actually going to do what I have to describe. But don't purchase or don't don't sort of set up a web-based platform uh, because you think that some clients are going to really appreciate that sort of you know, web interface, and then stop doing uh, face-to-face or, or telephone booking. Mm. You know, like don't don't just pivot entirely from the old way to the new. Um, Recognise that there's going to be various preferences um, in the market and that different patients, clients, customers are going to have different levels of comfort mm. uh, with different offerings. So, 100%. Off, yeah. So I think it's about offering a diverse set of uh, solutions that all still deliver what you're trying to accomplish. You know, that all still, that they don't dilute the ability for the medical legal provider uh, to actually deliver what they're trying to do. Um, but that gives the client, the patient, the client, a lot, a lot more control over how they engage in the first instance. Yeah. Um, 
I think that um, sort of additionally, once you've got those solutions, once you've identified what you're trying to do and what you want to, what platforms you want to pick up or whatever, don't imagine that it stops there. Mm. <laughs> it's you, you never. You, it's very it's rare, I think, that ongoing the solution out of the box. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's that ongoing work of refining it, of gathering feedback, of listening to, you know, the experiences of the people using it, and and you know, in this field, it's about probably seeking some feedback from your stakeholders, so from you know the legal providers that are referring work through, from the actual patients themselves, uh, and from you know uh, probably to some degree from the other side. I mean, you you'll get a sense of. If, if the technology starts to be a feature in what gets uh, brought up when the report's being dissected or, or discussed, mm. um, that's something you should take on board as well. And it's, it's about not just having a, a fire and forget kind of solution where you, you put it in place and then you're done. It's about being open to refining it and trying to make it fit and fit and fit. Uh, and I suppose the last thing is don't always just try and address a stated need. Um, try to anticipate what people need as well, uh, even if they're not saying it. And that's, that's the hardest bit of all of this stuff is trying to address an unstated desire um, in the market. But, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who we work with who, for example, don't come to us, you know, wanting, like actively saying, hey, I'd like to use eSign. Mm. You know, like I want to sign electronically for, for the authorities to be able to, you know, start the legal matter. Um, and indeed, we find a lot of people who, when you say, when you, if you would, for example, offer Hey, would you like to e-sign? The answer is it would be no because it's new and it's different. They don't know what they want to do it. But if you want, if you can actually dig down deeper and say, okay, well, what does that person actually want? Well, that person wants to start quickly. They don't want to hang in this limbo state. They've got a need, like they've they've had a serious injury. Mm-hmm. They're they got uncertainty about their finances. They're having a bad time. They don't want the process to drag on. So if you can instead say to them, hey. There's something I can offer you that makes all of this go faster. It means that rather than, you know, waiting for two weeks, um, you know, for you to receive the authority, sign it in paper, send it back to us in an envelope, and then we send it to the other side, we can start today, you know. Yeah. That is a very different proposition. That, that's a yes. You know, like for, for someone who would say, no, I don't want to do e-sign because I don't know what it is, uh, offering instead, do you want to start today or do you want to start in a couple of weeks? Is a very different answer. Yeah, and so it's all about trying to make sure you communicate that, that, isn't it? Exactly. It's about yeah. how you communicate, but it's also about what you're actually trying. What you're. It's also about what you look for mm. in the first place. So, for example, you might not have clients come to you saying, "In our case, we didn't have people clamouring at us saying we want we want a better e sign," but we did have people, you know, who we could clearly see wanted a quicker solution for some of those administrative sort of functions, and so it's about hearing. Through the words, through the explicit stated you know, needs, and trying to hear the actual underlying drivers and hearing what's going on for the people that you're trying to work with, mm. and actually address those underlying things uh, with a solution that might be what they say they want, but uh, or what they're talking about, but actually still addresses you know what's going on for them. And then, as you said, packaging packaging it back to them in a way that actually makes it clear that it addresses that need. Yeah. So it's about that, so that value proposition is there as well. Yeah. Yeah. This has been awesome, Jason. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your insights into this fascinating new world and the world of technology. I know it's always a... um, It's always growing. New things are always coming out. So I think this is just 
um, one of those topics that I think could come up again and again and again because it's yeah. an evolving beast. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and um, I hopefully might have you on again soon. No, oh, sounds good. <laughs> no, thanks. thanks for talking to me. Appreciate sure. it. Thanks, Jason. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.